You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 241 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with not Alison Tate today because she is still gallivanting and having a wonderful time with her family in Canada on holidays. I'm here with guest host, Dean Koori. How are you, Dean? Hello, Alison. Hi, uh, hi, hi Valerie. <laughs> Hello, Alison in Canada. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's me. It's me. And and it's episode 241. That's so you've got two for one. Two for the price of one. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. Boom, boom. I'll be waiting yeah, 241 boom, boom. episodes for that little Dean, play on words. Yes. Dean is the <laughs> resident pun expert at the Australian Writers' Centre. And he's also the resident dad joke uh, guy to the point where we have a jar. You know how some people have swear jars in their office? We don't have a swear jar because um, quite possibly we'd all be really poor. But uh, we have a dad joke jar and every time Dean tells a bad dad joke, oh, yeah. he has to put money in the jar. And we went out on our Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funded lots of social outings. Um, no, I, I do take a little bit of offence to the um, – dad joke uh, because, you know, some of those puns are, are are better than dad joke status because I think the idea of dad jokes has got a bit of a bad rap of late. Okay. It tends to imply quite corny stuff, but my stuff's pretty clever sometimes, you know. <laughs> Okay, you you keep telling yourself that, Dean. Yeah. No, 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 it's true. He only has to put money in the jar when – it's when it is corny and other times we, we just pat him on the back and say, oh, my God, Dean, you're so funny. All right, <laughs> so let's move on. What have you been doing this week, Dean, since uh, I spoke to you last? Um, well, in, it's school holidays at the moment, so <laughs> there are a few school holiday things. As I've got some You've children. You've got like 1,000 children, haven't you? Yeah, 1,000, give or take 997. Mm. Um so, yeah, there's been a little bit of that going on, um, just working on um, some side copywriting projects uh, and doing Australian Writers' Centre things like um, writing the Q&A and the newsletter and, and lots the dad of, jokes. And the, and the dad jokes uh, that go into that. Um, yeah, it's been just a, a regular sort of July week. How about you, Val? Awesome. What have I been doing? I have been, oh, my goodness, mentoring a lot of people in our freelance writing masterclass program. Mm. Uh, some awesome wins. There, I love opening some magazines and where, you know, in this in one issue of that magazine, I can see multiple bylines of people who are in the program and obviously other graduates as well. So it's very, That's very cool. exciting, very exciting. But we want to give a big shout out to 
om writing, as in O M writing, like mm. you know, om, om like yes. <laughs> from the UK, who has kindly left us a review on iTunes. It's nice and short and succinct, and they have said, I am working my way through the library of old podcasts. Great chat, great advice, and fantastic interviews. Love it. Oh, that's, that was that's very awesome. short, sweet. Yes, hmm. thank I, you I wonder. So much. I think there's a lot of people who are doing that. Actually, it sounds I've I've read a few people who are you know they discover the the podcast, and not everyone discovered this podcast on episode one, <laughs> and so they they go back and they they check out the back catalogue and yeah. Yes. Well, I hope you're enjoying it on writing, and thank you so much for taking the time to leave us a review. Really appreciate it. Um, and if anyone else has thirty seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that would be really awesome. Uh, we Certainly be very grateful because it helps us in the rankings. Now, and it's just Dean, nice. It's nice to hear these things too. It is very nice. Yeah. Um, Nadine, the other day, just in fact, a couple of days ago, I went to um, have Peking Duck at uh, oh, okay. at the restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants, which is called Top Barbecue in DY. This is not sponsored. I just really love it. It's got awesome Peking Duck. Anyway, this is in Sydney. Uh, so I had Peking Duck and we had to, you know, go. And so they rushed after us and said, oh, you've forgotten your fortune cookie. So they gave, because we, they didn't, we didn't settle the bill at the table. We went to the counter. And so they gave us our fortune cookies, which I put in my handbag, took home, and I only literally just opened my fortune cookie. Would you like to know what it says? I'd, I'd love to know. <laughs> it says, you'll be sharing great news with the people you love. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're a bit more cryptic than that. And sometimes oh, is that it? Oh, of course it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a fortune cookie. <laughs> I forgot how small the uh, piece of paper is. I was like, yes, it's, and? <laughs> yes. Well, the interesting – I mean, the thing that I've always wondered is do they bake the piece of paper in the cookie or do they insert it afterwards? Do you – have you ever heard that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, baking paper gets put into um, the oven, so I guess, I guess so, yes, yes. Uh, but, I mean, hmm, well, they, more, they, they've kind of got to. I mean, otherwise how how would it get in there? Yeah, because it would be quite labour-intensive, wouldn't it? Well, hopefully it would well, yeah, catch fire or anything. But more importantly, the other thing I wondered was who writes these things? Hmm. Yeah? Some writer sits there and writes a whole heap of different messages. You'd be quite good at this, I reckon. You'd be great at this. So I did a little bit of research and I found this video, which we'll put in the show notes. Um, It's from the website Elite Daily or it's featured on the website Elite Daily, but it's about this guy called James Wong and that's his whole job. His job, because he works for Wonton Foods and his job is to write the fortune cookie messages that go in the fortune cookies. And and like- yeah, it's it's so it's like I wonder how you would if you had to write a fortune if you if this was your job how would you approach it? Well, it's well, I I know that from a copywriting point of view, often I, I get sort of fortune cookie type jobs where they'll say I need you to write. 50 headlines of something, you know, or 50, you know, 50, um, slogans, which are, you know, that's effectively what fortune cookies kind of are the message. It's a nice little, little takeaway 
soundbite, if you like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> soundbite. See what it no, is, Dan? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm here all no, week. Um, so, so I, uh, how I usually approach it is a real um, quite intensive. I'd sit, sit down and just turn into a bit of a, a line factory where I just like churn them out. Um, I don't know. You just sort of get on a roll. But, um, yeah, do think, I don't know. I mean, wonder what message you'd want to convey in a fortune cookie because it'd be pretty bad if it, like, you'd want them all to be positive, I imagine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That, that, <laughs> you, you don't want to be having a bad day when you're writing fortune right. cookies. Um, and you don't want to be in a cynical mood. I, I, I kind of get the feeling it's it'll be similar for the for the astrologists of the world, you know, putting together the oh, horoscopes, yes. um, the, you know, the stars for fun or whatever they call them. Um, I think that's why I was expecting more in the fortune cookie because I was waiting for, you know, if your birthday is today, <laughs> because, you know, everyone likes to read a horoscope, but, you know, you kind of break it down and, and yeah. really there's only 12 messages for 7 billion people. So, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, you know it's generic, but um, but I guess it just has to make people feel positive. Like what you'll say that you were going to be sharing news. Um, I'm going to be sharing great news great with news. people you love. It, so, and I mean that could mean anything, right? It exactly. could mean that I'm telling my cats I'm about to feed them because I love them, and that's great news to them. Or it could be you know something far more significant. <clears throat> It could literally but, be that you're sharing the news on the podcast with your podcast listeners that you love could, that you've got right a fortune well. cookie. It could mm-hmm. be anything. So you've got to be fairly – it's got to be fairly broad. And yeah. um, so there is certainly an art to writing fortune cookies and clearly there are jobs for people who that's all they do, write the fortunes and fortune cookies. In fact, James Woods – James Wong, sorry, got this job because – his predecessor retired due to writer's block. I, I just saw that on the video. I was coming. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is like talk about a, a succession plan when someone runs out of ideas or, that you take over. I guess um, I wonder how – I now want to know his predecessor, how long he or she had been yeah. in the – Yeah. Like Maybe how we'll long until they James ran out of um, fortunes. Yeah. Yeah, until so their there are other change. things. There are other things that <laughs> there are other things that uh, you do because we've we've talked about. You know, there are people who write Hallmark cards. Um, what else are there, what other jobs are there that you just kind of don't think? Oh, do people like you? Don't actually think someone has that job? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, actually, like that, I never thought of a um, fortune that- cookie writer. One of my favourite movies, Five Hundred Days of Summer. That was yeah. Mm-hmm. That character was a was a Hallmark card writer. So yeah, there's those. Oh. Um, what about in the um, those Christmas crackers at the end of the year? The, yes. The jokes. Who writes the jokes? The I mean, jokes. I, see, that's a job I wouldn't want to be um, owning up to. Um, they're pretty, or riddles, riddles in the pretty, in the Christmas cookies. Sometimes they're riddles, and riddles are hard to write because you've got to be really riddles. Quite that's true. Or those. Um, what's the the um, fan tale? Uh, yes. The, that's the right. Trivia. Someone must write yeah. that. We've yeah, got to find but, out who writes the fan tale rappers. Yeah, it's actually this this little underground kind of you oh you look around you and there's just writing everywhere and someone's everywhere someone's got that job of yes. um yeah, putting all the bits of bits and pieces together. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like little uh, hidden network of writers. That's right. right so, 
Another thing that um, is just so such a normal part of our daily, well, certainly your weekend browsing, is um, something that you do a bit of, you do quite a lot of actually, and that is real estate listings. And we touched on this last week and talked about the fact that yep. you're about to launch a course with the Australian Writers' Centre on how to write real estate copy. And one of the things we said was this week you would share your top five tips on writing real estate copy for people who are um, for people who are interested in doing that. And I know that quite a lot of our Australian Writer Centre graduates actually do that and they really enjoy it because uh, it's very, it, you know, they make it very creative for themselves, yeah. but they also get to visit lots of lots of people's houses. So what's, I think you should take it away. What are your top five tips, Dean, for writing real estate copy? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for starters, it is a pretty good segue to what we were just talking about because it is one of those things that's everywhere and yet you kind of don't think about the fact that it could be, a, even even as a writer, you don't think about the fact that you could make money out of this uh, thing that's, you know, in, <laughs> on every street corner, really. Um, so I uh, putting together the sort of five tips um, – uh, the first, the first thing really about real estate writing is mm. it's, it's like – well, it's like everything really. You're selling something to a, a person. So it's to remember that um, there's actually a, a human who's buying the house. So uh, it's, it's not just a list of rooms and fixtures. Um, this is actually somebody's – perhaps it's somebody's dream house. So mm. it's really important that you're not writing it for you. Um, you know, you're writing it for the person who's going to actually live in that house. Um, it's it is actually really um, important to have a human in mind. Um, it's it goes a little bit beyond features and benefits as well, because um, it's quite a sentimental process buying a house, as a lot of mm. people will know. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything to? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's. Um, yeah. I think that that's absolutely true. I think um, I was uh, Lisa Schofield, who is one of our AWC graduates, was saying the other day that it's such a, it is someone's dream house. Not only the person buying it, but potentially the some person selling it is really proud of their house. So it's yeah. something that needs to be treated with a lot of respect, and it's quite a privilege, she says, to be able to, you know, turn their their life is to, to embody their life into words. Yeah, I mean, that is, you do have to keep in mind the buyer as well as uh, the seller, of course. Mm. But certainly for the buyer, it, it, and the, the one thing is it may not be your idea of a dream house, but you're not, mm. yeah, as I say, you're writing it for the person who is going to be the perfect fit for this for this um, this home. Kind of leads into the second one, um, and it's a little bit about what we were talking about with fortune cookies, is mm -hmm. it's really important with real estate writing to be positive. You are right. selling a dream, and it's yes. even if it's the worst house in the street, mm. um, someone's dream might be to restore it or knock it down or simply do nothing because they love the way it is, you know, as it is. Yeah. So, so you've got to leave your judgment out of it and always be positive. It's a really aspirational mm. purchase. It's probably the, the biggest purchase most people will ever make. So there's kind of no room for doubt. So a bit like our fortune cookies, you don't want to be sort of – 
casting any kind of negative light on things because mm. what, what you think of as a, an objectively negative thing could be exactly what you know that one buyer is looking for and that's really who you're trying to talk to so yeah. it's really important it's about selling the positive all the time and you know it's not always easy <laughs> with some of the properties mm. that you make it if you're not just doing luxury properties um, mm. but that's that's what I really like I like that challenge of being able to bring out the best in any any type of property. Well, I think that your so the key word there is um, leave your judgment out of it. So, you know, is is that even if some people kind of I, – I agree that I think you should always look at the positive, um, but some people might – might find that difficult in, in some circumstances, yeah. but then the keywords, the key advice is leave your judgment out of it. Um, okay, what's the third one? Third one's actually about writing it itself, and it's really important um, to get to know the neighbourhood where the house is located. Mm. So people aren't just buying the address; um, they're buying the context. So where it sits, um, what's nearby, and that's where you can actually add a lot of value as a as a uh, a writer, a property writer, by just just um, finding out those little things. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to, even if you're writing remotely, you don't even have to have visited the suburb. I mean, it doesn't, you don't need to be walking around with a notebook and a magnifying glass, and, but you do need, you do need to really set the scene. Um, especially because when you, when you actually come to write the the listing itself, often you will actually be talking about the features of the area as well as the property um, almost Definitely. always because you are – people are, are, are – yes, they're buying the house, but they're, they're buying where it is because it's part of a, yeah. an overall lifestyle. So it's really, really good to make sure you really nail the neighborhood because that will also help you know, identify the sort of person you're talking to as well. Yeah, very important. So research on the neighbourhood and obviously try and go there. But you can also – that research can also just be talking to the the owner and, and getting their perspective on how they – on their lifestyle and yeah, the nearby uh, stuff. Totally, it can. Um, that's not always possible. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you're on site, it's not always possible. But certainly if you have that um, – Opportunity, yeah. Ask them. Uh, ask questions. There's, there's very like the more questions you ask, I'm, I'm always of the opinion I'd rather have more information when I start sitting down to write than than less information. Because oh, you know, sure. always you can always edit things out, but you, you don't want to be making things up. I mean, you'll get found out very quickly. Like, yes. you, you you do need to, um, yeah, just find out the sort of places they want. You know, that were good to go for you know, brunch or the local parks or the good schools or, or you know, yeah. any, any little insider information is, is, is great. So whether you're there or not, you can get that information. Um, and it really does help, um, yeah, sort of respect the, the place that you're selling. And also, mm. importantly, you need to remember to respect the buyer. I just um, read uh, Emma Isaac's book, um, new book called Winging It, and she spoke about the fact that she was looking, she was reading some real estate listings, and the ad in the, like the heading of the ad was something like businessman's retreat and oh. all great and, and great investment. And she she writes about the fact that she emailed the real estate agent and said, just so you know, it's not just businessmen who can afford this and or who want a great investment or who need a retreat or you know, yeah. I'm paraphrasing. I I'm I'm probably that's yeah. probably they, those are probably not the exact words she used, but she was basically pointing out to the real estate agent that um, the title was 
was not appropriate. And, you know, to his credit, he wrote back and he said, oh, my goodness, I had never thought of that and thanks for pointing it out and I'm going to change it in the future. And he, she, when she looked back at the ad, like, you know, the next day, he had changed it to business person's retreat. But I think that's also very important as well, not to be sexist. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of cliches and tropes that sort of um, inhabit this whole area, and a lot of things which you know uh, we would have seen them, um, and we we touched on them really lightly last week. Is is just some of those cliches that you do see in the headlines or or in the bullet points, and yeah, they can be um, yeah they can just sort of be taken for granted, um, and it is it's a really tricky. Um, tricky um, sort of balancing act because mm. one of the things we we look at in the course is identifying who your buyer actually is and you know to to say that it's a business person regardless is you know you you're kind of cu- cutting out the fact that it could be great for this family all that so you I mean you, you kind of have to pick a camp but it can be a little bit tricky to identify how you want to um, yeah p- put that into the headline because it, you know, straight away it turns some people off and some people on. Well, it certainly turns all women off when it says business <laughs> yeah, well, business, business man does, yeah, that's true. But even <laughs> just saying this person has already assumed that you're cutting out, you, you know, perhaps people with families. Well, it did it, say it, business yeah. person's retreat or great investment or something right. like that, you know what I mean? He it's said it did have an or. And often that it does become a bit of a, um, you are you are trying to say it's great for this or this or this. You you you're never wanting to discount anything because you don't know where your buyer is going to come from. So, yeah. but you don't want to water down the impact of sort of a quite a strong statement. So that yeah, it can be tricky. Okay, so what's your next one? Uh, number four. Oh well, no, number four is actually. This is, I mean, it's certainly the most important if you want to make a living as a property copywriter, mm-hmm. uh, property yeah, working with agencies is to follow the brief. Now, I know it sounds obvious, but Mm -hmm. especially in property, um, word limits aren't serving suggestions. Often they are words, sometimes even the actual number of characters are specified because. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's really important. Um, And every agent's different. Every house has a different marketing strategy. So for that reason, every brief is going to be maybe just a little bit different. Um, so word counts are important. Um, you may be writing for the sign that goes out the front and it has a, a, a limited amount of space, well, real estate <laughs> yeah, yeah, to put literally. the words on. Um, mm. It's so important. Even on the web, online, where people think, oh, online's fine. You know, I can write all day online. Just It's not a blog post. <laughs> there is, you, know, you are paying for space online as well, that kind of thing. Um, and the other thing about the brief that I'll say is um, really important is the deadline. Uh, the turnarounds are usually probably 24 hours, and it's really important not to miss those deadlines if you want to get future work. Yes, um, absolutely. Better, if, you're, if you're starting out, it's probably better to provide something at, say, 80% and on time than yes. 90% and late. <laughs> it's yeah, just because, so you know, they, they yeah. have to start their marketing campaigns in a contractual, uh, you know, they have, there's a contractual agreement as to when they start their marketing campaigns. They're being paid to start marketing at a certain time or there's deadlines if it's going into the newspaper. So, yeah, very, very important, the deadline very thing. Important. Yep. Yeah, and you're, and you're one of the cogs of their marketing kind of – 
machine, there'll be a yeah. photographer, there may be someone who does their floor plans. Um, you know, these days you've got these sort of 3D fly-throughs. There could be a, a whole range of people that they're – and people that are contracting to, to get all the bits and pieces together and you don't want to be the um, the one holding up the – holding up the um, – the whole the whole thing yeah for sure all right number five number five is it's um it's something which a lot of people who are interested this in this probably do anyway and it's just really making sure that you follow the trends keeping up with the the marketing trends or the even just the fashions of what um i don't know what pushes buyers buttons what kind Um, of trends do you mean like what um well it can be well, they can be general trends in the market, like how hot the market is and in certain suburbs and things like that. But more, right. I was thinking of um, interior trends, how, how houses ah. have been built, um, you know, the latest, yeah. like what the desirable kitchens now all need to have a walk-in pantry, you know, or, yeah. you know, whereas 10 years ago that wasn't as important or double vanities, you know, this century is seems to be the must-have or, you know, these kind of little things, what it does is – if your property that you're happening to write for has these things, then just straight away it helps you identify them quickly that those are great things to talk up because you know just on an objective level that those things are kind of in fashion, they're desirable. Yes. Um, it's really good. Uh, and even things like um, uh, mm. if, a, if the house was designed by a particular architect and the architect is hot right now, definitely mention the name of the architect, but if the architect is not anyone who any, has anyone heard of, it might not be relevant. And one good way you might do it is Google the architect. If, it, if lots of amazing articles come up, definitely include the name of the architect. If, if, the article, if you Google the architect, nothing comes up, don't bother putting the architect. <laughs> Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, even the fact it's designed by an architect is sometimes quite a, you know, not all houses are. You could say architect designed, but as opposed to the name of the architect. Yeah, in terms of trends, absolutely. Like if if something's hot right now and, and your house has it, then that is that is a real thing that you need to be able to identify, and you want to. The, every little minute counts with this because remember we've got that twenty four hour deadline. Often you'll be visiting the actual property. You need to um, then go and write the listing. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. Any any little cost saving, uh, any time savings are going to help you out because it's going to mean that you know straight away you can walk into a place or or see a floor plan and go, okay, good. That's got that 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 that. Yeah, some of the things are, are quite timeless. Like, say it's north facing. Um, yep. You know, a particular outdoor area gets a lot of light in the afternoon or evening. You might think, great, that's good for entertaining in the evenings. Mm. So little things like that are always going to be great in any home. Others are a bit more fashionable, perhaps like our, you know, particular trends in the kitchen or bathrooms or or whatever yeah. happens to be the you know tiling and floor coverings. You know. Lots of things, yeah, lots of things sort of go in and out of fashion. All right. So there's lots of opportunity to get into real estate copywriting if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in. And uh, Dean's course, which is awesome, I have seen it and it's fantastic, is launching soon. And it's going to tell you all of the things that you need to know if you want to get into real estate writing. You might not want to do it full time like the full time fortune cookie writer, (laughs) fortune cookie (laughs) message writer, but you might want to um, supplement your income with it. So if you want to find 
find out more, make sure that you um, download a course outline so that um, we uh, then we will know to email you as soon as the course, to notify you as soon as the course is released. So just go to writercenter.com.au slash real. That's writercenter.com.au slash real to check out the course and um, download the course outline. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be great. All right, let's move on to uh, our giveaway this week. We have a competition and we have 20 double passes to the Breaker Upperers. Now, this is uh, executive produced by someone that you and I really like. Oh, I love how, him. He's awesome. How, how do you say his name? Because you're Kiwi, so you'd know. Sure. It's uh, pronounced Taika Waititi. Okay, Taika Don't Waititi. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he's behind Hunt for the Wilder People and a boy, and he directed Thor Ragnarok, uh, yeah. which we love. You love, you love one particular character in that movie, oh, don't you, Val? Yes. So good. It's Troy Sabro. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such. It's anyway. We will not go on mm-hmm. about how much. No, we, we won't go on about that one. Ragnarok. But anyway, written, directed, and starring Jackie Vanderbeek and Madeleine Samey. It's it premiered at South by Southwest and opened at the Sydney Film Festival. So it's in cinemas nationwide from the twenty sixth of July. The film centers on Mel and Jen, once the two timing victims of the same man, but now best friends who have made a business out of breaking up couples for cash. Life is good. Cynicism is high and business is booming until they run into an old victim who will truly put their friendship to the test. Um, Yes. So if you want uh, to win a double pass, then go to writerscentre.com.au slash win. That's writerscentre.com.au slash win. Now, Dean. Now. <laughs> I think I know ready? what's. I think I know what's on its way. <laughs> what? What? What could it be? Does it rhyme with "shword of the shweek? <laughs> Are you ready for the word of the week? Yeah, let's let's hear it. You sound just like Alison. Okay, I know. <laughs> I thought it's taken, that it's taken one week, and I'm already. Yeah, <laughs> I right. know you love words. I, I I do love words. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's climacteric. So C-L-I-M-A-C-T-E-R-I-C, climacteric. Hmm. Do you know what it is? Um, it sounds – so it's not climactic. No, not climactic. Oh. Climacteric. Mm, is it sort of like that? Well, you would think that it's something to do with climate or climax, but it's not. And some people might think it's associated with menopause in medical circles, which it is, but there's also another meaning. It actually means a critical or crucial period. So you might say her year in Paris marked the climacteric of her career. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's Uh unusual. Okay. Okay. You might well, you, say that, yeah. You I might really am sounding like Alison, aren't I? <laughs> you might say that. Well, you try and use it in a That's sentence nice. this week. <laughs> you try and use it in a sentence this week, Dean. I will. Right. I will try. I will try. Let's move on then to our writer in residence this week. Now, 
Our writer-in-residence is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. She did the creative writing course in Melbourne and she is a lover of books. And, in fact, we've spoken about her briefly um, once before because she and her friend are responsible for Books on the Rails, which is where book lovers, you know, uh, leave books on public transport for people to enjoy. Oh, was this in Melbourne? Did she do this oh, in she, Melbourne? It's, it's, she started in Melbourne, like on the trams, but right. it's now in public transport all over Australia. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, that's great. Great little uh, yes. endeavour. So as a result of that activity, uh, which, you know, gained traction, it gave her. Um, traction. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, her, her name is Ali Berg and it gave her and her friend, Michelle Kalis, um, the idea for a book. And that's Like exactly- a train of thought. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Carry on. Carry on. All right, moving on. Let's have a listen to Ali Berg. Thanks for joining us today, Ali. Thanks for having me. Now, you have written a book, well, you've co-written a book, The Book Ninja. For those readers who haven't got their hands on the book yet, tell us what it's about. So the book ninja is um, about a girl called Frankie who lives in Melbourne and she's unlucky in love and she uses her one true love in life, books, to try and find uh, the perfect man of her dreams. So she leaves books on public transport um, with a note in the seventh last page trying to find a man with the same book taste as her. Now, this is really, really interesting because you first came on our radar when you started Books on the Rail and we spoke about you in the podcast. We did a blog post about Books on the Rail. Just for people who don't live in Melbourne and who may not be familiar, tell us a bit about Books on the Rail and how in the world it all started. Yes, so Books on the Rail um, is actually, yeah, the Book Ninja is Books on the Rail Come to Life. Um, Books on the Rail is a community initiative that I started with my friend and now co-author Michelle Kalis, um, and we started that in 2016, um, and we basically put books on public transport for people to find, read, and then return. Um, at the moment, we have about 5,000 books circulating all over Australia and 1,000 book ninjas, which are people who help plant, us, plant the books on public transport all over Australia as well. So why did you start this? Uh, so I started it, um, I actually was living in London in 2014 and 2015 and um, I met a girl called Holly and I was friends with her and helped her to start Books on the Underground, which is the London version. And I thought it was such an Australian idea, such a Melbourne idea. And I, um, when I moved back to Australia in 2016, I brought it back um, and then approached my friend Michelle, who was a huge, who is a huge book lover as well, and um, we started it. Then we just started by planting our own books on public transport and uh, books from secondhand bookstores. And then we were so lucky that publishers got wind of the idea and um, uh, started uh, sending us boxes of books um, cool. for us to drop on public transport. And yeah, now we've got a whole a whole crew of a thousand book ninjas around Australia that are dropping their own books all around um, for people to find and read and then return. So how do you determine which books you are going to leave on public transport? And also, is there some kind of uh, system as to you always put it on the second row of, on the left side or just put it anywhere? 
No, so it's it's completely random. We just put it um, on any bench or or any um, uh, seat, um, preferably one that people aren't already sitting on. Um, and it's basically, yeah, we just really put all different sorts of books. The beauty of it, I think, is that um, we've put a whole lot of different books of different genres and different types. And a lot of people actually post on social media saying that they found a book that um, of a genre that they wouldn't usually read, say historical fiction, and they usually only read nonfiction. And then um, and then really discovering that they like that genre and then reading it from then on. That's fantastic. And is there any way to track where where the books go or or who, how many times they're read or anything like that? Not, uh, not officially. We have the only way that we've been tracking it is through social media. So a lot of people, uh, when they find a book, they get so excited and they upload it onto Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Um, and then they say that they found a book and then other people will reply to them saying that was my book. And we've seen it, I think, travel about four times. That's the record, but we have discussed putting a tracker on it or something like that to try and find exactly how far it travels. Yeah. So is there a criteria for the kind of book in that are there some books that you won't leave on public transport or are there certain or do you follow any particular themes? What What's the criteria? Um, there's no real criteria. We just want to put as many books out there as possible Um Unless it's uh, unless it's inappropriate, but besides, <laughs> unless it's, but besides for that, no, we really put all different. We put all sorts of books out there. Um, we really like heroing indie authors or author, uh, debut authors as well as Aussie mm. authors as well, which we've had a few actually. We also do we host um, book clubs on the train, and we've hosted a few <laughs> with Aussie authors. With um, we've been lucky to have. Um, Sunny Overend has joined us um, and she's an author of two books and then Graeme Simpson as well has joined us on the train as well as the authors of the um, Hashtag Love Oz YA um, collection as well have joined us on the train and, yeah, it's been really amazing to share all these Aussie authors with the Australian public. So you have your book club on the train and and basically the author is talking about the book while you're going, you know, Pencer, Sport, Dale, Janelli, Sutherland, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, exactly, and, yeah. And presumably coming back because you've got to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's a bit of a rocky ride. Um, the funniest was we did a well the the most and the most exciting and unusual was what the one with probably with Graham Simpson. He read he wrote a book a short story called called the intervention on the number three tram. So he hosted it on the number three tram, and he read it. And it was such a crowded tram. We had no idea, but it was one of the most crowded trams. It ended up being, it was like it was peak hour, but um, oh. only there was a, a hand, it was about 20, there was about 20 people that joined us um, for the actual book club. But by the end of it, the entire tram was partake, was partaking in it and just <laughs> random commuters were partaking in the actual, in the actual book club, which was amazing. <laughs> and is this all because you just love books? Yes, exactly. Yeah, just love books. Completely, completely in love with books. Like the main character of our book, The Book Ninja. It's been such a big part of both mine and Michelle, um, my co-author's uh, lives, and it's really what's bonded, what's made um, me and Michelle bond, and what's made us become best friends. Just talking about all different sorts of books, and that's that's why we do it, and that's why we yeah, that's why we love it, and that's why the Book Ninja as well is um, 
really heroes and really talks about a whole lot of different books. I think we meant, we mentioned uh, over 200 books. We've got a whole uh, long list of books that are mentioned in the book Ninja at the back of the book. And so you and Michelle start leaving books on public transport and it takes off. At what point did you guys think, oh, we might write a book together? Because it's quite different <laughs> activity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it happened a bit um, unconventionally. What happened was we had always talked about how we would love for someone to find a book um, and then find a romantic partner from that book. So basically someone leaving a book and then someone else finding that book and then that sort of forming a connection. Um and we were so lucky to be able to speak to a whole lot of different publishers all the time um, for books on the rail, for just getting their books on public transport. And mm. I had just a coffee with Anna O'Grady, who's the head of publicity at Simon & Schuster, and um, we started discussing how we had always wanted to write a book and how we really we had this idea about um, someone finding a book and then finding a romantic connection from that. And then it was from that coffee, really, that it sort of turned into this whole big thing. And we never <laughs> believed that it would happen. It was, we never really thought that anything would happen from it. But then, yeah, now it's, now it's a book and it's, yeah, it's been amazing. And it's been such a learning curve. Um, so it's, yeah, especially doing a co-author writing together with Michelle and I, it's been so, it's been amazing, but yeah, we never thought it would happen. Now we're on book two and we just still, we're still pinching ourselves. That's so exciting because you've done the creative writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre in Melbourne. Why did you decide to do that course? Yes, yeah. So I've always wanted to write since I was little. I've always wanted to be an author. It's always been something that I've wanted to do. Um, I went into copywriting and uh, worked as a creative copywriter in advertising um, for eight years and but have always secretly wanted to be an author <laughs> um, and decided to do the creative writing uh, uh, course with Nicole Hayes um, in Melbourne uh, just before I was about to leave for London. So I had quit my job and I wanted to sort of do something different and pursue my dream of being an author. And I did um, do the course and it was fantastic. It was the first time that I had really shown my writing to anyone else, my, my, um, my creative writing to anyone else. And then, um, yeah, and then I did end up actually writing a manuscript but never showed anyone as well. But then when I got back to Melbourne, we started uh, writing, we started creating books on the rail and discussing the idea of writing a book together. And then, yeah, it really happened from, from that. So give us an idea of timelines. You have coffee with Anna O'Grady from Simon & Schuster and you just talk about this idea. Just give us a, a vague idea of timelines. How long after that did you really agree on, look, we're going to write a book? How long did you then take to write the book, you know, yeah. three, with with Michelle? And, and then we'll go into how you did it because co-writing is <laughs> – you know, uh, a whole different ball game compared to writing it by yourself. Yeah. So it was a complete, a complete whirlwind. Um, we, I think, I think I had the coffee in November. Um, I was freelancing at the time as a copywriter and I wasn't able to meet Anna because I was, it was during the day, but then my contract canceled on me that morning. So I had a coffee, but yeah, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. And then <laughs> in like yeah, very lucky. And then um, in, uh, I think we started writing, We and then we signed with them, I think, in 
we submitted a proposal in January, signed with mm. them in April, and then handed in our first draft manuscript in September. So it was a very no. quick timeline. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I have never heard of anything that quick. That's yeah. highly, highly unusual. That is not normal. <laughs> because had you written anything by April? No, we we had we had written. Sorry, we had we had written four chapters, which we had okay. uh, submitted for the proposal. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was it, and yeah, it was a very quick turnaround. Um, oh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a big yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, okay, you get the book proposal. I mean, you get the book deal, and then suddenly you and Michelle need to write this book. And it's fiction. How in the world did you divide it up? How did you agree on the the plot? How did you, you know, determine who was going to write what, what bit? Yeah, talk me through the whole process <laughs> on a practical level. Yeah, so it was very different to writing by yourself. Um, writing by myself, uh, we had to. We got together, and at first, we started writing piano style, so sitting next to each other and <laughs> writing everything word by word together. And wow. then realized that was that was completely not practical. Mm. Um, so then we plotted every single thing together. We had massive brainstorm days of just plotting exactly what was going to happen and writing down yeah. a huge plot map, which is so different to how I usually write. I usually um, Graham Simpson has this thing that he says is a, uh, it, you can either be a plotter or a pantsy, a pantser, yeah. which is, uh, sort of writing by the seat of one's pants. And I'm definitely, yes. when I write by myself, I'm a pantser. But um, as a co-author, I think you have to be a plotter and we completely decided, we, there was no surprises. We knew everything that was going to happen and then we split up the chapters. So we wrote one chapter each and then split them back and forth between us. Um, and so then, you wrote a chapter each, so you alternated chapters. Is that what you're saying? Yes, we did. But it was, uh, yes, and then we eventually, yeah, we alternated chapters and then eventually it sort of became one voice and now now we've sort of become one person. At the start we didn't really have a similar voice and now mm-hmm. we have exactly the same tone of voice. We've sort of created this person in between both of us that is a new tone yeah, of voice. Yeah. Wow. So when you first started and you had very different voices, how did you then meld them together and make sure it sounded like one voice? Yeah, I think so. We at the start it was it was much it was a much longer process and we sort of I think we worked on chapter one for a very long time, just trying to mm-hmm. uh, giving it back and forth to each other, just trying to make it into this sort of one voice. And then we sort of got the hang of writing in a different voice or in a voice that was sort of uh, um, an alchemation of the both of us. And then now we sort of, um, now there isn't, now there's a voice that we have that is sort of written in, in the, as a new person <laughs> almost that we're writing on behalf of a new person that we've created and that's their voice. And I think that's how we write. Yes. Right. Wow. All right. So you hand in your manuscript in September and what was the experience like after that? Was there much feedback? Was Were there structural changes? Um, how, what was that experience like? 
um, yeah, that was good. So we um, we handed in September and then got it back, I think, in October. Um, and, yeah, Simon and Schuster were amazing. They really they knew that it was, of course, our first book and they really um, talked us through all the changes and made it really easy for us to make all the changes. Um, there, were, there weren't that many changes um, in terms of there was quite a lot of t- uh, changes in terms of the prose, but then in terms of the actual storyline, not as many changes. Um, there was a character that we had to – refine and uh sort of um kill off a little bit <laughs> which is, and that was that was probably the most difficult part um and then besides for that uh yeah it was it was it was easier than we thought we had no idea what to expect um but it was yeah it was quite a it was quite a seamless process um which was really good and I think it was actually easier having both of us there during yeah. that time as well I got I got married um so it was oh. a very busy time for me busy. And it was that which was so great to have a co-author as well, to have Michelle there. So she picked up the slack while while I was getting married and busy. And then as well, she's a teacher while she was doing reports. I helped her during that stage. So it was really good to have someone there. Um, Yeah, doing yeah, doing the writing while while you're sleeping. (laughs) What was the hardest thing about the process? Um, The hardest thing uh, would have probably had to be – sort of what I said before, which was changing from being a, a, a pantser, sort of changing from just writing as I went and, le- and letting the characters lead the whole process to plotting everything out um, and making everything and knowing exactly what's going to happen before you actually write it. Because the ideas before when I used to write, the ideas used to come to me as I wrote. Um, but now, yeah, changing changing my style, I guess, to be to be a plotter. And so what was the most enjoyable thing about the process? Um, the most enjoyable thing I think was probably having someone else to write with. Um, yeah. we, <laughs> we have a lot of fun together, especially the plotting sessions. Um, yeah, uh, writing um, together and brainstorming and we usually had a glass of wine and laughed a lot um, and going on writing holidays as well. We did a few of those Um it's where a good we got excuse. To, yeah, exactly. Just went away for the weekend and just shut ourselves up from the shut ourselves off from the world and just wrote and wrote and wrote. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I guess, yeah, a lot of the time as a copywriter as well, uh, writing a lot has been very solitary for me. Um, but yeah, writing together with someone else has been has been really fun and exciting. And now now set now doing the promotion part of it, so the promotion for the book ninja going on. We've been. Uh, we've been on a few writing tours and going on to writing festivals as well has been, has been so much fun doing it with someone else. Have you, um, uh, when you were writing, did you end up continuing the whole book alternating chapters? Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Um, so the very start and we had, we tried a few things. We sat by yeah. side by side and mm. then we also, um, uh, tried, there's a blog, there's a big blog presence in the book. So there's lots of blog entries and we tried doing one of us writing the blogs and one of us writing the rest of it. But then no, in the end we decided that the best, the easiest was for, for us to just alternate chapters. And so with that though, how long would it take? Did you give each other, hey, every week we're going to write a chapter each or, or I'll take one chapter, then I'll give it to you, you write the next chapter, then I'll take the next week, you know, just on a practical level. How did it work? 
Yeah, so we gave each other um, a week to do a chapter, essentially. So we each did a chapter a week, um, which was difficult if you were writing. The ch- it was a little bit more difficult if you were writing the chapter following the one that hadn't already been written. So if Michelle was writing chapter two and then I had to write chapter three, but I hadn't seen yeah. chapter yet it was a bit it was a bit difficult um it was good though that we had the really thorough plot map so we knew exactly what was going to happen but I always preferred being the one that would write the first chapter beforehand but we alternated that as well yeah cool and so now you've mentioning you've mentioned that there's a second book is this a sequel to the book ninja or is it something else it's not a sequel, it's a standalone. Um, yeah, we're currently writing it for it to come out uh, next year in June. Um, it's still uh, set in Australia and it's still about um, books and about love. Um, so it's very bookish as well, but it's a standalone, a standalone book. And do you think this is going to be the way forward, basically co-writing with Michelle for the, you know, near future? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you never know, you never know what's going to happen, but I think so. I think, yeah, we, we love doing it together and yeah, we've talked a lot about it. We both have full-time jobs as well. Um, but yeah, we love, we love writing together. And now that we're used to it, I think we can't, we can't imagine (laughs) writing alone. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we do really enjoy we do really enjoy doing it and for the, for the near future at least I think this is what will happen. <laughs> and so what are your full-time jobs and how do you fit this in? Do you set aside a particular time each week or what happens? Yeah, so um, I uh, run an, a small advertising agency in Melbourne called Hedgehog Ad- Advertising um, with my brother actually. I co-everything, so I've co-authored the book and now I (laughs) co-found the agency with my brother. Um, And we've got a a team of 11 and we just do all creative advertising and um, Michelle is a a primary school teacher. And, yeah, we find it, yeah, it's hard to balance balance work with writing but um, we love writing so I guess we do it. We usually, I usually try and find a couple days after work to do it and then one day of the weekend to write. A couple of days after work and one day of the weekend, right? Yeah, okay. And do you catch up? Do you um, catch up with Michelle on a regular basis to see where you're going, or is it pretty much done over email once you get into the once you pass the plotting stage? Um, we usually catch up once a week as well. Um, we usually actually do it. We usually have a Saturday breakfast where Michelle and I will cook each other breakfast or make each other breakfast, and then. Um, just discuss everything over breakfast, how we're going, what we're thinking, whether the characters are changing. Um, yeah, so that's that's a ritual that we do and, yeah, it works. And it's fun because you get to see your friend as well at the same time. <laughs> that just sounds delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Or if we're having a hard time, it will be after work with a glass or two of red wine. <laughs> yes. Have you ever disagreed on the things, like not minor things, but kind of thought, no, I really think the character should do this, and, and what the other says, no, I want them to do this? Um. I think we haven't, we're really lucky we haven't. A lot of people said, or oh, either make or break our friendship, and I think it's made it. But um, we, yeah, we haven't really, we've probably only had one disagreement ever, which was we were going, we had a big, uh, in, at the last year, I think we had been writing for about a month and we were going, one of us wanted to completely change the direction of the book and then one of us wanted to keep going as it was and then I think we found a happy medium in the end and then and then we moved past that. But that was probably the only disagreement other than that. It's been all great, which we've been really lucky that that's happened. Yeah. Now, 
I usually ask uh, our interviewees their top three tips um, for writing, but I'm interested more your top three tips on writing with a co-writer. Like what are some specific things that you think are important for other people who might be thinking of co-writing out there? Three things. Yeah. Oh, three things. I'd say one is um, to constantly communicate with each other because I know especially in in the midst of it we could get in our own heads a little bit and just be writing things and be taking characters' places and then forget to tell one another and then the character's completely changed and you haven't communicated. So just constantly communicating, even if it's an email or a Facebook message, just letting letting each other know what's happening in your mind. Right. (laughs) Two, I'd say, is to plot everything, so to have plotting plotting meetings. So we have that one big plotting meeting at the start, but then to have uh, continuous plotting meetings with each other um, as you go because the plot does change even, even if you don't want it to. You can't. The plot will naturally change slightly here and there um, mm-hmm. as you go and as you're writing. Um, and then three, I'd say um, we, we always um, – tend to read the same books as we're writing mm. <laughs> and it does help I think it sort of gets us in the groove of the sort of tone that we're writing in um, or the sort of style that we're writing in so yeah reading the same books at the same time and then also discussing what we liked and what we didn't like about the book at the same time mm. always helps as well so we have our own little mini book club for the two of us <laughs> lovely lovely just sounds like you ha- are having a whole lot of fun Yes, we are. We are. (laughs) All right. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Ali. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in copywriting essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash essentials. There you go, Ali Berg on The Book Ninja. That was a great interview. I, I cannot believe that two people wrote the book. How does that work? I know, it's hard, isn't it? I yes. couldn't do that. <laughs> have, yeah. Uh, well, have you, you've written a few books. Have you written anything with somebody else? I have, actually. I co-wrote a book with David Smeet, who is – you'll often see him write for Body and Soul, but he's also an awesome comedian um, doing – you know, he, he does stand up. Um, and a long time ago, he and I co-wrote a book, and the way we did it was we divided up the chapters. So we were very clear – it was a right. non-fiction book, though, so it yeah, wasn't – Yeah, I was yeah, it didn't need to have a story thread. It had a thread, obviously, but it didn't have to have that level of story thread that a that a fictional that a novel would have. So mm. we d- divided up the chapters, and um, we were very clear on what each chapter was going to cover. So we wrote our chapters independently, but then we would catch up for coffee and you know compare notes and see where we were going. We had both re- um, we had both previously written for two. Um, we were both like on the staff for two different women's magazines. So we both knew how to write in a similar style to each other. And so the, oh, okay. 
the tone was very was coherent from the start, and I think that's what the publisher kind of kind of liked as well. They knew they knew that we would come from a similar voice. Um, so yeah, it was it was really fun actually. Um, I, I guess the I, I guess the moral of the story, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, like Ellie. Is you got to be pretty organised. Like they obviously had to plot it out. You, you know, it has to be. Yeah, it, it, probably more so because you're relying on another person to 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 write the yes, other the other half. It would be a lot harder. Yeah. It would be a lot harder, I imagine. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, hats off to them for for yeah. for getting it done, and and the fact that they're writing their their second book together now, and um how Ali can't see herself doing it any other way. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that's that's bizarre, but, yeah, good on them. They've, they've, yeah. hit, they've hit on their winning formula. Exactly. Um, all right, so let's move on. We're almost at the end of this week's episode. What are you doing in the coming week? How are you going to survive the rest of school holidays, Dean? Uh, I'm just going to just hide. <laughs> I'll go to, go to a local cafe and hide. That's what I often do, actually. Um, yeah, the baristas know me quite well. Okay, I have um, to ask because I know a lot of writers go to cafes, as yeah. I do as well. I used to do even more often than I do now, but I still go to a lot of cafes. But I have to ask, um, when you go to your local cafe, I know you sit yep. there often and type away, do you feel compelled to keep ordering food and drink? And Not at all. What? <laughs> what was your follow-up? No. <laughs> well, it kind of – it's not a follow-up then if you don't you, – so you're like order one uh, right. coffee and sit yeah. there all day? Well, see, this – got. it depends on the cafe. Like I'm, I live in a fairly small town and I know my local cafes and they know me and I know the time to go when I'm not going to be, you know, taking up valuable seating or, right. you know, when it's yes. quite quiet, et cetera. Um, in, in one particular cafe, it's the morning, and another particular cafe, it's in the afternoon. So depending on when I want to go, um, but I just know them so well that often, you know, that they'll start making my coffee before, you know, yeah. I'm even in the door, and it's yeah. kind of like norm on uh, on chairs or something. Um, yes, but, yes, I, but guess I, it's I have no problem, no guilt whatsoever. However, yes, if I'm going to a new cafe, yes. I, one little thing I do always do is, it, well, I used to, these days I have a keep cup, which I'll take with me I guess. Um, to fill the coffee in. And the great thing about that is, one, it keeps your coffee warmer for longer, everybody, um, and right. you're less likely to spill it on your laptop. But also, <laughs> they can't tell if you've finished. <laughs> <laughs> so... so you know how they want to take away a cup and your yes. plate is missing. Yes, okay. Well, in a takeout cup. And before the, the big war on waste came through and, and everyone yeah. had keg cups. And, um, yeah, I, I would order it. And, and, you know, still if I don't have it, I feel, you know, I'll, I'll get it in a takeaway cup, but I'll have it there. Uh, that can be a nice little trick because, you know, they, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know if you're still going or not. But, I mean, you know, I do try and support yeah, the cafe. I'm not trying to be a cheapskate, but it's it's something I don't certainly don't feel compelled to, to do because yeah, it's it's um it, it, in most treat. cases like, yeah yeah I, I know I know the people involved that. yeah I'm I'm, I'm okay, still buying so, something yeah so um I think you didn't finish the sentence about if you're in a new cafe so what happens if you're in a new cafe and you, they well, don't well, know you. 
Yeah, sure. Um, no, I would still, I'm still happy to um, get my coffee in a takeout cup and sit sit there and, and not necessarily order anything else. But uh, I will admit that I won't stay as long, probably. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I might be able to squeeze an, an hour and a half tops out of that cafe, whereas right. another one, I might go for three hours on one coffee, um, <laughs> which sounds, oh, that sounds terrible, don't I? But I mean, sometimes I just might want another coffee. That's fine. No, I think the thing uh, is, if it's not busy, I would probably have no guilt either. Um, but if it's busy, I would definitely order more because – and then then that, that, this is the dilemma I have. I mean, I, if it's busy, I definitely order more. Um, but then I'm like, I need to go to the loo. And that is the big dilemma for me on how to manage that with my laptop and all of that and do I pay now? Uh, see, you know, I, mm. uh, the, I, I don't think I've even visited the toilet of my local <laughs> <laughs> I have such a good bladder. It's brilliant. I, you know, it's like it shuts down when I go into I the right I think mode. it's time to move on now. All right. And on that on fabulous that note, yeah. note, everyone, we'll leave you with that. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we find you online, Dean? We'll finish um, up well, now. <laughs> I mean, I do have a website. You, you gave me it's, – it's getting a bit out of date these days, but you'll find that on deancurry.com.au. Yep. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just search my name. I think D- go to D- Dean Kura on Instagram because I- he takes great photos. You're not very active on Twitter, but on, but he's got great photos on yeah. Instagram. They're really awesome, yeah. so check them out. That's true. Um, that's they're very cool. All right, you'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, and definitely connect with all of us, including Dean and of course Alison and myself, in the podcast group on Facebook. Just search for "So You Want to Be a Writer" podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.